0: Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Um, We have been going through... Uh, a, I think actually, thus far, we've we've taken Genesis one through four in twelve different uh, sermons. We've been going very slowly through the very beginning of the of the Bible, and um, we call any calling this uh, sermon series the Origin Story. You know, much like um, you know when you watch a Marvel movie, you want to find out why a superhero became what they became like why is the world the way that it is in both this beautiful created way but also this broken and sinful way and what are we supposed to do with that and how do we live in light of it and that's what we've been looking at and this morning we're coming uh, to the very end of Genesis chapter 4 and and so uh, we're actually going to read a little bit of the same passage that we read uh, last week and continue on into the really fun stuff that a lot of us love when we read, which is genealogies. Uh, and so I'm, uh, I, I, I'm glad that, that I'm the one um, who's taken the, the short end of the straw and reading the names this morning. But uh, if y'all would, please turn with me. Uh, you can turn to page uh, 3 in your, in your pew Bible and read along with me from Genesis 4, verses 13 to 26. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech, sorry, Lamech, uh, took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other is Zalah. Adah bore Jabal, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zalah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zalah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and she called his name Sorry, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Be Would y'all pray with me as we consider it together? Father, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um I like to uh, to pay attention uh, to to singers and songwriters and pay attention to their lyrics because, in many ways, while they are uh, songwriters. They're actually kind of theologians. They're not necessarily Christian theologians, but there is a, a a truth that they're trying to get at by each of their songs. And so, one uh, song that I actually was just like randomly singing as my wife and I were getting ready for bed earlier this week was Billy Joel's "We Didn't Start the Fire." Um, right? If y'all know the the chorus, it's "We Didn't Start the Fire." It was always burning since the world's been turned. Right? Um, and then it goes on to Though we didn't light it, we tried to fight it, right? Um, so here's how the song originated. Joel was, Billy Joel was 40, and he was talking to another song uh, writer who was 21 at the time. And this was 1989. And a friend said to Billy, like, this is a terrible time to be 21. Um, and Joel retorted, yeah, I remember when I turned 21, um, it was you know the middle of the Vietnam War, Uh, There were civil rights problems, there were drug problems, Uh, and a friend replied, yeah, but you know, you at least got to grow up in the 50s, and in the 50s, there were no problems whatsoever, nothing happened during the 50s, is what he said to Billy Joel, and he said, you know, yeah, other than, you know, the Korean War and the Suez Canal crisis and all of the frightening scares about nuclear weapons Right? The point that actually originated Joel's song here was that one generation didn't have it far better than another. Right? Um, there weren't better times or worse times necessarily. The fire of struggle and sin didn't start with his generation. Right? It started before. It can be tempting though to believe that things are worse now than they ever were before. Right? And there might be some truth to it. Right, At least it feels that way to a lot of us. Um, but the reality is that sin and struggle existed in the world since almost the beginning. And that's what our series has been about. Right? God created everything, actually. And it's very important to say that it wasn't always burning since the world's been turning. Right? From the very beginning, God created things, and it was good. Right? We were created in perfect harmony with Him and with the rest of creation, but what began in harmony and goodness was corrupted, right? In disobedience and in rebellion against God, Adam and Eve pursued. Uh, they, they pursued the idea of becoming their own king. Right? They disobeyed God and they ate of the tree that they were commanded not to eat of, and so sin began. Right? And in shame, they hid from God, and sin took more and more root. And then they had children, um, and one of those children murdered the other child. And so sin is spreading here. It's multiplying. And we see here that Cain, the murderous child of Adam and Eve, begins to have his own children. Right? And that actually is what we're going to be paying attention to this morning, right? Cain was exiled even further away from Adam and Eve and begins this wandering process. But rather than kind of wandering forever, he decides, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to settle down here. Maybe even rather than wandering and then ultimately turning back toward God, he decides to settle down and to create his own uh, city, And this actually begins to confront, biblically, our own bias. Our own bias of believing that civilization is the answer that the world needs to all of its problems. Right? That better education or better economic opportunity. All we need is a little bit of civilization and cooperation. And maybe getting all the things in the city ultimately right. That this will cure the world's struggles. Because Cain is the first city builder in the Bible. We tend to believe that what we used to call, I don't know what we call it anymore, but we used to call it third world countries, right? that somehow those countries were more inferior uh, than developed countries, right? poor and rural areas were more inferior, and that what the world needed was more education, more economic development, more urbanization, right? in fact, if all we, need, all we could do was get more human intuition and ingenuity together, then the world was going to be perfect right wrong because globalization internal uh, international collaboration and trust in human reasoning while yes it has brought about many wonderful things like health advances and increased technology and increased life expectancy it's brought amazing catastrophes as well far deadlier wars than ever existed prior a larger slave trade than even existed in the 16th, 17th, or sorry, 17th, 18th and 19th century, a pervasive sexualization and exploitation of people on the internet. Right? As people congregate, yes, it is a coming together of more and more image bearers, people made in the image of God, but it's also a coming together of more and more sinful people as well. And that's what we're taking a look at this morning. Right, we see in this next generation after Cain that sin begins to spread in these three distinct ways. It spreads in sexuality, it spreads in, in work, kind of in creativity, so to speak, and in the carrying out of justice. Um, and it, it these are probably three different sermons, but. There's only so many different ways that we can, we can uh, splice up Genesis 1 through 4. Uh, so we're going to do this all in one, and it's going to be the, paying attention to the spread, in sexuality, spread of sin in sexuality, work, and in carrying out justice. So first, let's look at the spread of sexual sin. Um, sorry, let me grab a sip of water. If you read the Bible a lot, especially privately... Um, I I would imagine, you don't have to raise your hands, but um, I I would raise my hand as well. We have a tendency to skip over the genealogies when we're reading, right? Um, They feel boring. They feel superfluous. uh, They have names that are challenging to say. And so we just kind of want to get back to the good stuff, get back to the plot line, get back to the narrative of the story. But genealogies are particularly important, um, not because... They give us sort of this historic um, uh, uh, dating of what was going on in those times, although that may be a byproduct of what some of the genealogies do. No, they're, they're helpful because they're intended to explain the geopolitical and religious situation that God's people find themselves in. All right, so the genealogies here... Particularly the one uh, from Cain, which is what we're going to focus on. We, we have one from Seth and one from Cain. They describe two different people groups. The people who follow Yahweh and the people who go their own way or the people who wander. Right? Within those genealogies are details to help us see the religious and geopolitical world as well. So Cain has Enoch right in verse 18. And it says, "Enoch To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And verse 19 tells us that Lamech took two wives. And so whenever we see something in the Bible, we have to ask ourselves: Is what is going on here? Is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? Right? Is it describing the way that something was without suggesting that we are supposed to do the same? Or is it prescribing a way that we are supposed to live? And I bring this up because there are a whole lot of people on the internet these days who are saying, well, see, polygamy is in the Bible. And therefore, men were created to have multiple partners and multiple wives, right? It is, in essence, uh, excusing the idea that men should have as many, you know, kind of polyamorous ways. Um, That is a way of looking at this and saying it is prescriptive, which is wrong. That's not what is going on here. This is rather describing the way that that life was in this time period, right? And if you didn't know how to read the Bible, those types of arguments would be pretty persuasive to us. But polygamy is in the Bible, yes, but it is being described. And as this is the very first point at which it enters into the conversation, it's pretty clear here that it's being described negatively, Genesis 2 says, after woman was created to be with man, that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and they shall cling together and become one flesh. That was the way it was intended to be. So the line of Cain that is continuously going its own way and wandering away from God is going its own way here as well. Lamech has gone his own way, no longer holding fast to one wife, but he wants more. He wants more than was intended for him. And though polygamy first comes through the line of Cain, it's not as if the line of Seth is impervious uh, uh, to it as well. Because even that line sexually disintegrates throughout the book of Genesis. As Isaac takes more than one wife. All right, polygamy becomes almost the norm in the book of Genesis. Genesis violating God's intention for mankind, taking that good gift of sex and and having people want more and more and more pleasure or whatever it might be that they're seeking and ultimately cheapening it and making it worth less and less. And though polygamy isn't kind of the natural temptation for probably a lot of us in this room or really even that much within our own cultural moment, we've seen the ways in which God's good gift of sex has has been mutated, um, mutilated and mutated. Right, as sex is more and more seen as, as sort of an appetite that we all have and not a communication of oneness or a commitment um, and connection uh, because culturally we're told that we are to fill that appetite, right? fill it with you know, pornography or with multiple partners or with some other perversion. All the while, we've taken something that's beautiful And we've made it broken. And ironically, maybe not ironically, actually, the cultural narrative around sex and pornography uh, of uh, what has been called sex positive um, in in academic cultures, which means sort of anything goes. um, It has had the effect of actually diminishing sexual engagement between people. Because apparently we're now in a time period where experts are calling this a sex recession. Noting this phenomenon, there's an author for The Atlantic named Kate Julian who wrote an article called, Why Are Young People Having So Little Sex? This is from a non-Christian perspective. And she writes, Despite the easing of taboos and the rise of hookup apps, Americans are in the midst of a sex recession. Why? Well, there's two main reasons that the article gives to us. One is the ease and the exposure of pornography, right? And that has meant that young people are less interested in physical intimacy with one another for two reasons. One, because it's so easy to see, some people are uninterested in sex as they see it, right? It looks dangerous. It looks uninteresting. It looks uh, like a violation of what they want for themselves, Or, second, it's made people uninterested in actual physical connection with real humans because, as it turns out, being in a real relationship with another human being is hard, right? Where we have to forgive one another, where we have to relate to one another. So that was reason number one. Reason number two is that sexual activity is highest amongst people that are coupled together. In essence the research, and people are less, uh, less coupled together now. They're, they're less committed now, right? So in essence, the research here actually points to God's intention, um, that, that sex has always been, which is a communication of commitment to one another, right? In, in serious coupled relationships, people long to express that love together, and they long to express so physically. And apart from those relationships, The physical action becomes about satisfying that hunger. right? It becomes pretty much the exact same as a pornographic event. It's artificial. It's temporary. It's like trying to feed your hunger with a single or a single pack of Skittles. You will be left wanting immediately. So here's the point. Sex is something that man, apart from God, consistently diminishes into something that it was not intended to be. And apart from God, we cheapen sex, making it less than, worse than God's creation. Because here's the, the truth. If you want a good sex life, the Bible describes one. right? One that's intended to be in one flesh, a communication of commitment and love to one another where you know each other at your worst and you say, I love you still. Right? It is a physical manifestation of the love that God has for us as well. That is what is being described by the Bible. That is sex positive. Right? It's not the way of Cain. Second part, the spread of sin in our work. So let's, let's read real quick verse 19. Um, if you can, turn with me to your Bibles again. Um, it says, Lamech took two wives. The name was one, of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zalah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwelt in tents and had livestock. His brother's name was Jabal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. And Zalah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So Lamech has some children who have children, right? Oh, uh, sorry, Lamech has, uh, yes, Lamech's children have children. The Bible gives us some job descriptions for these characters. Lamech has a son. One is named Jabal. Jabal becomes his father. Oh, sorry, be, becomes the father of all who dwell in tents and have livestock. Um, he's essentially the father of, of shepherds and herders. He's he's like uh, the father of the modern day cowboy, right? Uh, those whose home is where the buffalo roam. Um, right. Jabal has a brother. His name is Jubal, and Jubal is the father of all those who play music, right? The lyre and the pipe. And with Lamech's other wife, Zillah, Lamech has a son named Tubal-Cain. And Tubal-Cain is a forger, a metal worker, a blacksmith. Now the question is, why does the Bible give us these specific details about Lamech's sons? First, unlike some of the other stories um, that actually come from neighboring uh, countries and neighboring origin stories, uh, these details are included to show that God's mandate to humans to have dominion, to fill the earth and to subdue it, that it's actually being accomplished here. Right? God created humans to be creative, and these stories show us humans being creative. But they also prove false the other stories that would have existed at the same time, that these things were created by the other gods. And so therefore they either are intrinsically good or they are intrinsically evil. As mankind has been given the ability and the command to have dominion, these are the types of things that we will come up against, and we will have to have wisdom about. Because the ability to create new music, new food, new art, um, new metalwork—all of that is 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 good. But because human beings, who are also sinful, are the ones doing the creation, it also has the ability to be used for evil. As well. As we all know, mankind has the capacity for utilizing creativity for worship or for evil. So here's the point music can be used to praise God, and it can be used to lead us away from Him. Metalwork or tools can be used to further cultivate the earth for God's purposes. They can be also used to create weapons, to murder, much like Cain did to Abel to murder other image bearers. The point is that sin originating in the heart of man affects the way that we engage the rest of the world. And we can't just sit here and say, you know what? Like, all metalwork is evil. All music is evil. All ranching is evil. Um, You know, we were created to be gardeners. Ranchers are are wrong. Um, Or axes are evil. Um, No, the point is axes can be used both to like You know, cut firewood. They can also be used um, for murder. It depends on who the one is that's wielding the axe. So we have to be wise as God's people when we engage the rest of the world. We can't say, this is evil, this is good. We have to see the people who are doing it and who are utilizing it. As we engage this broken world, we have to have wisdom knowing that everything has the capacity to be used for God's kingdom and his ends or to be used for its own evil ends or for the ends of those uh, who are wielding it. So now let's, let's go to the third part, which is the spreading of sin and the carrying out of justice. So if you want to know what, what like, actual tax, toxic masculinity looks like, um, in the scripture, there is the portrayal of Lamech. Uh, he, he is the actual definition of like toxic masculinity. Because in verse 23, Lamech makes this boast to his wives that feels a little bit strange to us until we look at it a bit closer. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And in Hebrew, this young man is more clearly described as like a big kid or a young teenager. Right, Lamech is saying that some kid, some young man, some teenager wounded him. And you know what? Maybe it was by accident, maybe not. But all Lamech tells us here is that he was wounded and his response was not the eye for an eye, equal justice, equal response that the Bible proclaims or commands us to have later. Right, but his is a vengeful justice, wanting more than was uh, than was dished out. You wounded me, I will kill you. Lamit goes on from there. He remembers and he hearkens back to his grandfather's mark. That God gave to Cain when Cain was worried that as he was sent out that others would take retribution upon him and this mark was given to him as as a sort of an act of grace saying well you know what I am going to protect you and anyone who harms you I will bring upon them extra right that is what God is doing it's actually a promise of God's grace to Cain in that moment and then Cain squashes it all but Lamech doesn't look at it that way Lamech sees no grace in this mark, but only a chance to get away with impunity. If anything, he wants to take what God created and made here as good and to use it for his own purposes. He wants the mark of Cain, but far more. He's letting everyone know that he's taking vengeance into his own hands. For anyone who does harm to him, he is the one who will decide the punishment, not God. And it's not sevenfold, it is seventy-sevenfold far more ten times what god had determined the way of our world is the way of lamech we don't want justice we want vengeance and that is true of our own hearts as well as those who are in our world as well and i i I will never remember how clearly i i became aware of this until i had children and my oldest, my oldest daughter, Amelia, was playing in a playground. We were trying to have her meet friends. She was two years old, and some three-year-old boy was bullying her. And I was about to punch a toddler, y'all. <laughs> uh, right? Like, I was vengeful. How dare you hurt my child? You hurt her, I will hurt you far more. Right? But vengeance was never ours to have. The Bible says in the Old and the New Testament that vengeance belongs to God, right? God graciously reminds us of that again and again and again because we so quickly forget it, we want it for ourselves. But vengeance is the Lord. It's not for us to inflict. We are to trust justice in that way to God, and we are to learn to forgive as He also forgives because this is what Jesus seems to reference in the Gospels when his disciples ask him, how many times are we supposed to forgive? Right? And so they're thinking pretty good here when they say, well, seven times, right? Jesus kind of undoes the boast of Lamech in his response here. He says we're to forgive 77 times. If our hearts want vengeance 77 times in light of sin, then we who are followers of Christ and have been forgiven at that ultra level are to forgive others just like Him. For Jesus' forgiveness is greater than our desire for vengeance, and His forgiveness is greater than our sins themselves, than the vengeance that we deserve. And that is the forgiveness that He offers the forgiveness that he offers to people who misuse his gifts, who misuse justice for their own ends, who sin and who spread sin. Right? Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we finish here, I started with uh, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. Which in many ways is sort of Billy Joel's theological discussion on generational sin. Though we didn't light it, we're trying to fight it. Yet, what is the answer? How does it stop? Right? How does trauma, which begets trauma, which begets trauma, or sin, which begets sin, or as we talk about a lot in our family, hurt people end up hurting people, right? And so how does it all stop? When we look at the spread of sin we wonder, is it possible to change? It feels like we're fighting the impossible, but the beauty of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, He is the one who is dealing with it. As His kingdom comes, He is the one who is spreading His kingdom. Though sin might have spread, and though we are sinners who are spreading, by His Holy Spirit and through His forgiveness, He defeats sin. He changes us. Yes, we can change no matter what has been done to us and no matter what we have done or left undone. Right? Though we didn't light it, He fights it. And He wins. Right? And His kingdom spreads by His life, by His death, by His resurrection. And He calls us to have faith in Him. And that changes us. And that changes the world. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And though sin is great, you are far greater. And so, Father, we come before you this morning in worship and in gratitude for what you have done. We turn toward you in faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.